Welcome to the Lightly Literary Podcast, the only book club podcast that wholeheartedly embraces yam season in the United States. It's winter, Amanda. Let's bring the yams out. I'm all about it. Do you believe in <laughs> seasonal yams, or should I go wide, seasonal foods of any kind? No, I think that they should be available year-round because, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. in June, I do want some eggnog. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, sometimes on a hot night, you need a hot, creamy drink to go with it. <laughs> I this Is is this American arrogance? I have to think that most of our audience, um, as small and humble as you are, listeners, and we do love you, but I, it's got to be pretty American-centric, U.S.-centric. Mm-hmm. Anyway, and I do think that our supermarkets are kind of weird seasonal entities or um non-seasonal entities now you can get a tomato yeah. anytime even if it's not ideal tomatoes <laughs> yeah and strawberries anytime yeah yeah the fruit is abundant year-round <laughs> i do my mom is good about cooking seasonal foods and kind of embracing that so i think i inherited it a little but overall i don't have a huge tendency i'll eat yams anytime <laughs> also, technically, aren't American sweet potatoes not yams? Uh oh. Yeah, they're they're two different things. Yeah, yeah. So I guess it's not yam season, folks. We got to shut this down. We have been, as always, the lightly <laughs> no. <laughs> anyway, if you're wondering why in the heck we're talking so much about yams, it is because we are here today to discuss a novel. That novel is called Homegoing. It is by Ya Jesse. Did you confirm that pronunciation? By the way, I feel like you did. I did. Okay. I watched a video where she said her own name. Oh, well, it doesn't get better than that. That's perfect. It's what any good research department would do, and ours stays diligent as ever. So yeah. <laughs> Again, the novel is Homegoing by yeah, Jesse. This will be a book club episode, and it's a part one episode, so we'll be discussing the first half of that novel, spoiling that first half, discussing it in analytical detail, etc. If this is your first time listening, it's not a bad place to start. There's also a book recommendation for this novel up in the feed, so maybe go check that out first. And if you haven't read the book and want to avoid spoilers, then press pause in a second and come back when you're done. Um, as I mentioned, we are the Lightly Literary Podcast. We have social media accounts that you can follow and keep up with us at we announce books there and post reminders of episodes it is all one word at the lightly literary podcast and that's on instagram and facebook so follow our accounts there we thank you as always for follows likes recommendations you know random bribes feel free to bribe us we'll we'll get a book you like in the in the i don't know in the content mill it's a depressing way to, it's a depressing metaphor anyway <laughs> So, with the formalities out of the way, let's dive into why we picked this book, and then a definite uh, content warning too, which I have to remember to do, but I will do it. First, let's start with the book, which I believe you chose, right? I did. Okay. This She'd been on my radar, um, yeah, Jesse, because she's written a couple things. Transcendent Kingdom was another novel that I think got some good literary buzz. So I'd definitely seen her, heard of her, but never read. Um, I think the prompt was to pick a book by an author who was under 30 when they wrote it or when it was published. Either one would be fine. Why'd you pick this one? Um, so I was looking at under 30 authors and I wanted to choose something um, that was not within my usual wheelhouse. So mm-hmm. I thought this novel, when I was reading about it, um, talking about specifically like um, uh, um, set in Africa, set in Ghana, and on the Gold Coast, as it's called in the in the novel, mm-hmm. um, I was like, you know what? I haven't actually read anything by an author who's from Ghana, and I've never read anything about Ghana aside from like history books. So right, I right. was immediately like intrigued by it and and wanted to read it. Yeah, definitely. 
I think, did you in your undergrad or grad studies, because this would never happen in American high school, probably, maybe in like an AP class, but did you ever do any kind of colonialism literature focus studies? Um, yeah, I did do some, um, I know that like we, we read Heart of Darkness in my AP class in high school, yeah, which is yeah. yeah all about that. Um, <laughs> um, but I also read some of that um, for like my grad program and mm-hmm. um, we talked about it a bit um, with my undergrad as well in a couple of my English classes. Because you're right, of all the things I'm thinking back to have read... Like nervous conditions was one I remember, and then of course things fall apart, which a lot of people have to read in college or high school. Anyway, I can't specify the country of origin or the authors. It's also been over a decade, so I don't. I feel like I'm not at yeah. fault for this, but <laughs> I just you raise a good point because yeah, I, I don't think I could specify if I've specifically read a book from uh, a Ghanaian. Is it Ga- Ghanaian? Ghanaian? Anyway, an author from Ghana. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, as always, a blanket apology to all peoples of the earth for my pronunciations. This novel is, man, it changes character names every chapter. It's like designed to thwart me. So we'll see how poorly I do today. Uh, spoiler, it's uh, going to be pretty poorly. Anyway, okay, so that's why it was chosen. An interesting pick for sure and a worthy one so far. Interesting book. Pretty good. Let's do the yeah. content warning now, which I normally record before the episode, but that is because I forget. And today I did not forget. Um, because this book has a lot of content warnings to go with it. So I'll try and be brief. I mean, I, I, the whole purpose of a content warning is not to describe things in detail that would defeat the purpose. So it's to kind of warn people off. Um, it's a book mostly about the history of slavery. So within that, any barbarities you can imagine are in this book. Then I, I feel that's, I feel comfortable saying that as like a summary. I don't know if we should list them. I guess I could though. There's sexual assault and rape issues there's physical violence of all kinds intrafamiliar intrafamilial personal there's of course then things like beatings there's scenes about slavery and slave ownership um am i missing anything so far i don't think so okay and i guess yeah i won't say more because the whole purpose is not to in say details right to in case some people feel um, right. uncomfortable so is there anything you wanted to add to that we we like to do content warnings for certain topics we're not we usually put them in the beginning of the pod and i mention a couple of things and then people can make their own judgments we also do them up front because we talk freely about whatever we want to once we're in the conversation so there's just no way we're ever going to timestamp stuff it just doesn't work it would take too much effort to on my part because I edit this in a lazy manner. So this will, this will suffice, I think, for now. My apologies. Anything to add to that? No, I think that's good. Okay, okay, cool. So there's the content warning, uh, a sincere one, too. It is an intense book, for sure. If you've read it, then you know that. And if you're listening just because you want to and haven't read it, yeah, it's really intense. And I'm sure some of the scenes we'll be discussing and reading about are quite intense, too. Let's get to our first segment, though, with that out of the way. This is the fill in the blank. When we do fiction, the first segment we like to do is a fill in the blank just to get some conversation rolling. Amanda wrote the fill in the blank this week, so take it away. You can you can fill in your blank too if you want, Amanda. Sure. Um, it is an important heirloom that I cherish is blank. So hmm. um, I said it's my grandmother's rosary, and I'm not at all religious. Um, mm-hmm. And I actually have two of her rosaries, but the one that I feel particularly attached to is actually just like the plastic one, which is like a clear plastic. It almost looks like crystal, but it's actually just plastic. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> and um, it's really pretty. 
And uh, the reason that I, I cherish it so much is uh, my grandmother died when I was in, in middle school and um, she was just oh. such a, a fun person. Like she loves to ah. scare people, like love to scare people, like children, especially <laughs> so she would like jump out at you. Um, it, whenever I would spend the night, she lived up in Maine. So I only got to see her once a year for the summer. Um, but she, whenever I'd stay at her house, she's like, okay, you have a choice between either children of the corn to watch tonight before bed or snow white, mm-hmm. which snow white is the scariest of the Disney movies because of the whole like tree scene where the trees like attack her and everything. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure how many playful um, grandparents I've ever yeah. known in my days. My grandfather was a gentleman, kind but serious. I mean, he would he'd get a laugh out of everybody. He liked telling stories. But I don't know. I would never say goofy though. Not goofy mm-hmm. fun. A different kind. You've yeah, uh, you've started us with a fascinating one, Amanda, because you're the first person sure. in the history of planet Earth to associate rosaries with goofy fun times. So congratulations on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. The association welcome, people world. never thought was possible. <laughs> uh, once again, the Lightly Literary Podcast has done it. We are world first. So just going to print a medal for ourselves. <laughs> That's great, though. That's a really good choice. And you said she's passed, right? Those are when the... Um, then I have an interesting one for you coming up, but that, those are, I think, when they yeah, take on extra meaning, you know? I have two answers to this that I'll do, although I realized when you wrote the prompt that I have kind of... I wouldn't say a weirdly high or large amount of them, but I did get some stuff when my father passed. I got inherited some odd like odds and ends from his apartment or something. A man I never knew really. But anyway, one from him was a watch that um, he got from his father and it's got an inscription underneath it that just says love dad. And I don't think I'm like 99% certain my mom actually acquired it and then gave it to me, which is fitting enough because I'd, I would rather have that sentiment from her. It just makes more sense anyway. But it's at least, you know, it says love dad, but she definitely took care of it and got it fixed and everything and gave it to me. And it's a nice watch. I don't wear it a ton, but it's, it'll be nice. I'll hold on to it for as long as I can, as long as I can keep it working. Right. So that's a nice one. The other one, I wonder, I'll get your thoughts on this. So my mom, a couple of years ago, gave me one of her diaries from when she... I think it's, I know it's when she lived in New York. It may have been before I was born or like very early when she was pregnant with me or something. And so she's like, yeah, you should have this, Rita. I think it'll be interesting. I am going to, I'm going to refuse to until she passes. So I know this just took a weird dark turn maybe, but I'm doing that on purpose though. Cause I think it will be, (laughs) I don't know, more interesting, a more interesting type of comfort to get something new from her when I can't get that anymore. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's yeah. It, she also a couple of years sense. ago yeah. digitized a ton of photos and stuff from our childhood. And we've looked at some together and it's always very fun. But I know in the in the past, she's pr- prodded me a little to be like, oh, do you ever go back through that, those CDs or look at that stuff? And my response is always, again, it may be a little grim, but I'm like, I think I'm going to do a huge amount of that like when you pass like I, I bet that's when i'll be like man i really want to put poke and like keep yeah. things fresh and experience it for the first time again or i don't yeah i don't know if any of that seems weird and i it it doesn't feel grim to me though i know could you know contemplating death is never an easy thing so anyway but it does those are interesting heirlooms that i do cherish but i haven't 
I don't, maybe the diary will be super uninteresting and boring, which would kind of be funny in its own way. I don't know. <laughs> like today I bought milk, you know, end of entry, <laughs> something that'd be kind of funny. So yeah. Are you saving anything like that? Is that even, I think, am, am I the only person doing this? Um, I'm actually, I'm, I'm doing something like that for Viola, for my oh, daughter. Cool. Yeah. Um, so I've got, instead of giving her a birthday card each year, I actually have a journal where I, nice like write in it on her birthday and kind of like tell her um, like what she's accomplished that year, what I'm most proud of her about and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So um, I'm compiling that and I'm also making a special like photo album of all of her firsts. Oh, great. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like her first tooth, her first, time you know, walking big and, poop and all that all stuff. the all the good yeah. ones <laughs> the first time she used the potty by herself yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah all that all, stuff all um, the iconic moments yeah <laughs> so and it's um and i make sure to take pictures of it too so that she can see um see herself from that time too so i'm trying to yeah. compile all that and give it to her when she's when she's older and she can keep it for to look at later or mm-hmm. um she can look at it right away or whatever she wants to do but yeah i'm, I'm like making something for her to remember me yeah. by for sure. Incredible. It's a great idea. When do you think will be the entry when it's her first time making fun of you for doing a book club podcast? <laughs> <laughs> At what age? <laughs> God, probably when she's like 12. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's going to be the teen years and we're all yeah, embracing sure. her. We're all bracing for it. <laughs> Though, to be honest, let's be truthful about this. If if we're still around doing this endeavor by that time, then I'm just happy we're still chugging along, I guess, you know, like doing this. Because yeah. <laughs> yeah. we've got some years to go. But anyway, that would be fun. <laughs> All right. Um, with that out of the way, let's segue into the surprises, pleasant or otherwise. Another segment uh, early on, we're just going to chat now more about the book specifically. Um, should we explain what we talked about heirlooms? I don't, we never even made the connection explicit. There's oh, a yeah. couple, there's some, <laughs> well, it's funny because we, as we've discussed to our audience, we expect the people to have read, but if you haven't, there's a famous heirloom in the story that has been traveling. One of them is lost, right, in the sea, and then uh, the not other... Not in the sea, it was in the in the castle. She buried it and couldn't retrieve it before oh, she Oh, that's what, yeah, she got away. taken away. Okay, yeah. so it's, maybe it'll show up in the end, who knows. Yeah. But the other one is with uh, the family at the moment in Ghana, or in the Gold yeah. Coast, so... Yeah. Ashanti Kingdom. Okay, cool. So that's why we're talking about that anyway. Let's do our surprises, pleasant or otherwise. This is when we each isolate something in the story that has surprised us, uh, and it, as the name implies, it can be for better or worse. I'll go first, though I think... Oh, no, we don't have the same one. Never mind. I thought we did. I just think the structure was surprising to me. I really... Now, we've done authors' first published books but before and noted some similarities in perhaps daring qualities or interesting Mm -hmm. choices, uh, inventive, bold, risk-taking decision-making. Anyway, and this is bold for sure, because every chapter abandons the previous character and then jumps a generation to that that character's children. So far, has it been direct descendants every time? Yes. I think so, right? Yep. Yeah, very very intentional there. And so it's it's this branching kind of genealogical narrative. And yet yeah, the author, um, Jesse, every chapter has to restart, <laughs> reset expectations, reset the setting. Often, of course, the jumps are massive. Like I, of course, once this started, I figured, okay, we're definitely going to go to America then and see and witness slavery in America. That felt like a certainty to me once this became... Right. 
once it became clear this was the mission. From there, though, I don't know how... I haven't really read the back cover, or at least I forgot if I did. So I don't know how long it goes. I don't know if it goes to present day. I don't know if it's going to stop at some time, you know, some point in time. And so some of the more recent ones have been about... There was the Baltimore kind of pre-Civil War scene. Anyway, mm-hmm. I... It, I do think it's a fascinating tapestry. It's odd. It's it's kind of a forest for the trees issue so far for me, I think, my reaction, because I think each one has been engaging. She writes pretty nimbly, is how I would describe her style. It's never overbearing, even though I think sometimes she should be a little more overbearing, but we'll get to that. And I just... I think at the end of the book, if I were to almost sit down with a piece of paper and write out all the names... I think it would become more fascinating. It's almost like a choice that becomes interesting in study. In the moment, I don't know if it's... I don't know if each character gets quite enough time or impact for my own liking, but I think on the whole, it's going to make for something really fascinating to consider. And then also not knowing where the plots end, not knowing where the America versus Africa plots kind of intertangle. I guess Mm -hmm. it's really also hard to say what my reaction is, but I have been surprised and kind of admiring it so far. Any reactions to it? Yeah, I've um I've enjoyed it so far and it reads almost like a short story compilation. Yeah, yeah. Um like a generational short story compilation um more so than a novel in a lot of ways just because right. the characters there are some references to like the previous characters like with um uh I, I assume his name is pronounced Kiwi or is it Quay? I was doing Quay um, in my head, but Okay. <laughs> you know, the blanket apology remains. So I we I don't know what else um, to say. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so Quay um has a relationship with Effia who is the the first chapter, right? She's the, right. the first character. Right. So there are some references to some of the previous characters which helps with that. Um I think in my mind keeping people straight. Um mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's it's been interesting. I, I, I really admire that she can just kind of like jump into a different character and they have different motivations and stuff like that, too, that she yeah. she kind of develops throughout. So, yeah, yeah, she's doing a great job. I think the literary fun word we could use, kind of a critic's word, would be kaleidoscopic. Isn't that the common kind of fun word to throw around when something is really bold in its scope, takes in a lot of different scenes and stuff. I think that would be the fun word. Anyway. I like it. I mean, <laughs> it's not a literary, we'll it. it's not like a literary <laughs> device or something. It's not formal, but I just feel like that's the kind of, you know, slightly elevated prose uh, we could use to cr- say it critically. Yeah. So that's my surprise. How about for yours? Uh, my surprise is just the brutality in every single chapter yeah it yeah. is like i mean it is like hopeless <laughs> so far in in part one it is uh it's it's really brutal not that there's like you know excessive descriptions of the brutalities that that each character um uh ha- encounters but it's just that the the hopelessness and just like the the bleakness of each chapter it's i was just i guess surprised that there there has not been like any real happiness so far um and yeah. I, and, I, and it makes me yeah. wonder about like the ending as well so certainly the conclusions there are of course flashes and moments though i i suppose you're really reading it like the conclusions right of each one right. of each section yeah. or chapter yeah yeah. yeah, because the Baltimore one, of course, had the most, I don't know, normalcy, interesting, you know, there's a bit of safety in it since it's a it was a free state at the time, and although it's, you know, on the border of that. And then, of course, it just, 
see, this is maybe we're getting ahead into the kind of analysis or the make it stop stuff, but I just felt like that chapter pivoted too quickly and then didn't have a proper denouement or something. Like, that was where Mm -hmm. I thought, eh, this has slipped away from her in that chapter. Like, it didn't, it turned too quickly and then didn't leave time to really explore that grief or anything. So it was just, now granted, of course, we can always... Uh, invent on the author's behalf reasons for why she'd wanted to feel or read that way but it i don't know the other ones seemed a little more happier to draw out their conflict and make it clear right away and this that one just felt i don't know it's abrupt or something not random because they set up the fact that the law passed and there's the bloodhound law and everything and so yeah certainly not random it's you know very intentional you can tell but that one did surprise me a bit the the brutality of the ending of it. Yeah. Cool. Any, well, not cool, but that's just a random filler word I said uh, terribly. <laughs> I could have said any other word there. <laughs> opposite, opposite of cool, uh, whatever that may be. Any other moments struck you so far that you thought were challenging or something? Um, No, no, that was it. Like each chapter has its own like brutal moments that I was just kind of like, oh, man. Okay. There's one other I can think of that we'll get into in a later segment, so let's save it. Okay. Let's jump into some motifs. All right, we've danced around the text enough. Let's dig into some analysis, get to some quotes and bigger ideas, or more specific ones anyway. We're going to talk about motifs that matter. So each of us has selected an idea, a rhetorical device, uh, an author's choice of style or ideas or storytelling or anything, really, that we think just has great significance to the work and has intrigued us. Do you want me to go first? Did I just make you go first? I feel like I did. No, I didn't, Ren. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Go yeah, ahead. I, don't mind. I don't mind taking it away. Because we got to uncork a big one here, Amanda. You want to talk about womanhood? <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. So... I don't know why, but I'm finding the women in this story a lot more fascinating than the men. Um, I feel like they're, they've been better, I don't know, constructed or the scenarios that they find themselves in are a little more intriguing or have a little more depth or fleshed outness, which is not a word to them. So let's talk about a few of them. Let's see if we can unpack any of her ideas about what womanhood might mean uh, on either side of the Atlantic, really, because there's a couple things happening that are that are pretty significantly different in each one. So very early on, in it was in Effie's first chapter, this paragraph definitely caught my attention, so let's see if we can unpack it here on page five. It said, Matters were only made worse by Effie's blossoming beauty. When she was 12, her breasts arrived, two lumps that sprung from her chest as soft as mango flesh. The men of the village knew that first blood would soon follow, and they waited for the chance to ask Baba and Kabe for her hand. The gift started. One man tapped palm wine better than anyone else in the village, but another's fishing nets were never empty. Kabe's family feasted off Effie's burgeoning womanhood their bellies their hands were never empty so the feasting off her burgeoning womanhood is an excellent sentence that is it's both you know it's comforting obviously but like kind of disturbing it's you know Mm -hmm. it's cannibalistic (laughs) or i think i think obviously a different author could have dwelled on that image or something in a more grotesque way but it's a it's a strange line i found that line very uncomfortable i know it's the paragraph too is maybe meant to be i mean some of the the descriptions of her body are maybe a little more gentle or something but mm-hmm. also, and this could just be my broken uh, American toxic masculinity brain, but when it says, knew that first blood would soon follow, that's the name of a Rambo movie. <laughs> so I just, when I see that, I, I'm 99% certain that's not an allusion to Rambo. But just the way it was phrased, it, maybe it's matter of fact, maybe it's kind of got it, supposed to have a simple ring to it, but it just didn't, 
I don't know. It it didn't. It seems very factual, I guess, or economic, which I in, in this sense it literally is meant to be, right? Yeah, and and I also when I read that line because I, I made a note of that line as well. Um, I was thinking of like almost like sharks like circling their prey, like yeah, these men yeah. that are. It's like they're all waiting for her to become a woman so that they can claim her. So as a child, she's fine, right? She belongs to her parents. But then, as soon as she shows any sign of development of um, sexual growth of any kind, um, then they're like immediately pouncing on her, even before she has reached her womanhood Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and they're all like trying to get her so it's like it's like that she's being hunted in a way and and and, and, yeah it's disturbing (laughs) well and i so think about how her story resolves then is hers the most positive so far she doesn't love her situation being married to a white stranger though it seems like traditionally she would have been married if not to a stranger then it's not you know it's not by choice or out of romantic love as we you know 21st century americans would understand it and define it anyway but she so i don't know i didn't pull quotes for the end of her section but it does seem like of all the people she became the most content isn't there also a chapter later that she's in as an older woman with i think one of her kids and she just seems she seems to be navigating things okay, disturbed certainly by the slavery, but kind of comfortable or competent, you know, in her station. I don't, did, yeah, did the, her uh, conclusion strike you as, I don't know, it's odd to say best, but the most content or something? Yeah, for sure. She's, she's got the, um, the, the least brutal, I suppose, of, yeah, of the yeah. endings, um, but she, where she's content with James, but her trauma... The brutality actually comes from her life before James, which is through Baba. Mm-hmm. Um, right, right. And then later, the, the chapter that you're talking about is the the chapter with um, Quay. Is that Quay? Okay. Yeah. yeah, her grandson. And so in that chapter, she still refuses to live in the village because of Baba, and she calls the village right. the root of evil. And so she, her, yeah, yeah. her her whole like um, unhappiness and everything comes from the beginnings of her life and so she's which is in its own way like really sad because she might be content with her her life now as it is now but she's not happy so how could she be happy with all those the memories of like the the brutal beatings and the the lovelessness that she experienced like she never had a mother Mm -hmm. and and the broken home that she came from and and being purposely cast out like that well and, and to know of course and to learn later on in her life that she was i don't know what the terminology would be that the i think they say captors it's a crucial distinction, though, because the village is obviously in both, is it Fonte and Ashanti? Are those the yeah. D- yeah, areas, regions, tribes? But they they cap they take captures or captives, house people is what the then house workers, the girls that usually. And so it's, I, you know, we could quibble, of course, or do some bad faith argumentation about whether that's slavery or not or something. I don't I don't know if either of us have the historic knowledge or historical knowledge to to do so now. But the point being, like, she was the daughter of a captive slash slave. And that, I guess, has that shadow casted over her, too. Maybe that's why, like you said, she was so content to get out. It didn't it kind of soured her perception of it. That was her, right? Am I totally misremembering who that was? Oh, okay. No, that's correct. (laughs) That's good. I was like, wait, one of these characters, it was her? Okay. Yeah, so that was that's one early sign of kind of how womanhood is portrayed. Let's jump to Ness on 74. 
Uh, actually, 77 I'm going to jump to. Uh, when she connects with Pinky, it says, From that day forward, Pinky could not be separated from Ness. She had even moved from the other woman's cabin into Ness's. She slept with Ness, ate with Ness, took walks with Ness, and cooked with Ness. Still, she didn't speak, and Ness never asked her to, knowing full well that Pinky would speak when she had something to say, laugh when something was truly funny. For her part, Ness, who had um, not known how she, much she missed company, took comfort in the girl's quiet presence. So Ness is a good interjection of womanhood in the story because she's the most defiant. I mean, she mm-hmm. outright stops the slave master's son from beating from beating Pinky. And so she's the most, in that sense, she's the most active agent, you know? She has the most yeah. direct action, so to speak. And so what did you think of her introduction into the story? She's the, I was going to read the scene about her scars, too, which I thought was maybe one of the better descriptions, kind of beautiful, both, you know, both gentle and romantic, and then as has to be really brutal and, like, disgusting. So I was going to read that, but that her relationship with Pinky's interesting, too. Any takeaways for Ness, her, her womanhood? Yeah, so Ness is such an interesting character, too. Like, the reason that she's um, able to stand up for that, for, for Pinky and... and stand up for herself is because of uh, her previous experience with who she called the devil, which is when she got mm-hmm. beat for trying to run away, um, saving her son Kojo and then watching the murder of her husband, who was only her husband because they forced them together. Right, right. Breeding <laughs> um, really is yeah, the word, exactly. too. It's uh, extremely strange to say with humans, but that is the word. Yep, that's what they were doing, and so, um, so that's her. Her womanhood is interesting because she's like, it's almost like she's different from the other women, and that's why they all gossip about her and stuff like that too. So she's her, her definition of womanhood is very different, which is also I think connected to Abina, who's on the other coast, right? That's right, um, that's right. Effia's. Uh, descendant, but Abina also defies the usual parameters of womanhood. Hundred percent in her chapter. She was coming up next. Perfect. <laughs> no, that, no, no, no. Yeah, that's that was the last one I want to talk about in terms of womanhood. But yeah, the the so the ending of Ness's chapter. There's a paragraph, and so this day, while Ness waited to see what punishment Tom Allen had in store for her, she couldn't help but remember that day when she was first beaten. Sam's head, Sam's head tilted to the left and swinging. So when he was lynched. Is that a lynching, technically? I mean, it's a murder. I got, but anyway, yeah. again, rhetorical quibbling, maybe, or semantics. But yeah, when he was killed and hung. So it's, I don't, her defiance is intense for sure. Kind of passive in a way. She, Although, again, she's the most active. She directly intervened. But she's also yeah. doesn't take, what did you think about her not accepting the help of, is it, um, I forgot the man's name. Kind of interested in her. Yeah. Pinky's dad. Pinky's dad. Yeah, yeah. I forget his name. Sorry. What did any thoughts on a reading on that one? Then is that defiance kind of bleeding over or something? I think that's something that um, her mother taught her because remember in um, in at the beginning of that chapter of Nessa's chapter, she talks about how her mother like never smiled and was just like her memory of her is just like as a gray rock, this this strong stoic person. And so she tries hard to emulate her. And the one time that she like opens herself up to somebody this Sam, she just, you know, the terrible things happen. So I wasn't surprised that she would rebuff male attention. Um, Yeah. She definitely wouldn't want to go through that whole experience again. In a sense, a kind of empowering scene to see her stand up and then also 
you know, the especially the cries of the little boy and stuff, what he was saying, it was, you know, mm-hmm. just, I don't know, that was especially horrific. It, it's always yeah. a little more disturbing, right, coming from a child. So mm-hmm. let's end with Abina then. Is Abina is how you pronounce it too? Yeah, that's how I, okay, in Abina, my mind, yes. Abina, yeah, yeah, yeah. You never know what my mind's doing, so <laughs> don't, don't rely on my mind's pronunciation, that's for sure. So yeah, hers, I think then is kind of a capstone for part one. Oh gosh, we never said at the beginning what parts we were going to discuss. I said, I guess I said first half. <laughs> yeah, which <laughs> is part one. It's broken into part one and part yeah, two. Yeah, so yeah. I, th- I think we, I think we covered ourselves well there. So if you've made it this far <laughs> and you're unsure, we're just doing part one anyway. So it is an interesting way to end part one because she's the most outwardly defiant. You know, literally defies her father's wishes and gets hit for it. Kind of mm-hmm. criticizes him. But then this is an interesting paragraph, too, in in terms of the uh, in Africa perspective on 135. For as long as she could remember, her parents had made up one excuse after the other. She was too young. Her blood had not come. She was not married. She was never getting married. Abina had begun to believe that her parents had killed someone in Kumasi or were wanted by the king's guards, maybe even by the king himself. She no longer cared. And then that's right after she was hit by her father. And so... Yeah, her chapter two is one of just defying expectations, this time of parents and not of slave masters and owners. And yeah, how did you read it? It it does make for an interesting compare contrast with Ness. It's, yes, I really enjoyed Abina because even her um, parents, like she, um, oh, what's what's the guy's name? Ohene? Ohena? So Abina's parents treated her um, differently as well than what is traditionally considered good, um, like the way that you would treat a woman or a girl. Um, and Ohenna, or I think his name is Ohenna, right? Um, mm-hmm. Her the, suitor, the friend, yeah, you can yeah. go with any oh, title. Oh, oh, Oheen, Ohene. He, um, he even refers to her as like the son, right? Instead of the daughter mm-hmm. um, in a mocking way. But like she enjoyed the status of a son rather than, a daughter in the family um, so that she's given a lot more leeway in her independence and in her ability to voice her opinions and stuff, which is why yeah. she's so different and why she's able to kind of like say, Hey, I'm setting out on my own guys. Peace. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's fascinating within the village social structures and constructs to see it's essentially like she was raised and this is the, maybe European, there's some cultural commentary here, European ancestry that she has, but she is living at a, you know, capital L liberal, like Western perspective, be free, pick your path. Don't be beholden to the past. Don't be weighed down. You know, you have choices. You can, it's like what her father really wanted. So it is fascinating to see that show up. I don't know if historically too soon or something. I don't know if that, I again, don't have the historicity or something at hand to analyze it that way, but it did feel like, okay, she definitely, it's like she has the mindset and attitude of a, I don't know, like of a recent college grad today or, you know, just in terms of exploring the surroundings and trying to find something, trying to find where you fit in and not being totally beholden to a, you know, cultural expectation or uh, in this case, having to have a husband, right? Needing that. So, yeah, it's, she was a fascinating study too. I thought the most, I mean, appropriately enough chronologically, but felt the most kind of modern to me, I guess Mm -hmm. I would say. Yeah. 
and maybe, and fitting too because at the end she goes to the to where they were building the church right so talk about a bleak ending i mean yeah <laughs> yeah that's gonna go well <laughs> uh, who knows though who knows i don't know what this um book's portrayal of uh, missionary life or christianity will be tbd big time wow so far the the christian aspect has been kind of looked down on in the yeah. previous chapters yeah so. <laughs> all of the european influences have yeah so i think exactly. w- with her and ness an interesting contrast kind of a shift away from the early ashante expectations more economic thinking more you know exchange having families is kind of not bargaining chips or something but it is in that sense I don't know, it does remind me of, like, medieval Europe. I'm not sure what the sociological terms for this would be, or even, I guess, political ones, maybe. But, and it, yeah, yeah, just seeing the shift in that and seeing some new ideas get introduced, a little more defiance as, as the book goes on, it seems. Yeah. A little more boldness, you know? Yeah. From both. So there's there's some thoughts on womanhood. Uh, hardly scratch the surface, but <laughs> there's a lot to say. Anyway, um, do you want to talk about your motif? Yeah, mine is power. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> the power of womanhood, of course. Go ahead. <laughs> yes, that is one of the powers, sure. Uh, so each chapter has some kind of discussion of power. Um, Effie's power is her beauty. Like, she owns that. She's like, that is my power. That's the thing that that makes me, you know, have some command over my life and my decisions. Um, James Collins, her husband's power is his status and his pedigree. Um and also the fact that he is a white soldier in Africa. So he mm-hmm. just forces yeah. that. Um, Essie's power, because even though she is powerless uh, for most of her chapter, um, they do talk, the, the author does mention that her power is her father's status before she's captured, because he's the big man in the village. Right, right. Um, so Kiwi's uh, or Quay's is his father's name. Yeah. Um, and Ness is her mother's memory and her independence, which is associated with her mother's memory, the influence of her mother. James Jr. Um, is um, his power comes from Fifi's attempts at retribution, which is related to elevating James's um, status in the village to what he believes is deserved because his stepsister Effia or half sister Effia was uh treated very poorly <laughs> mm-hmm, um, yeah. and so he's trying to make amends for that so trying to give status there Kojo's power is his relationship with Anna which is why it's so devastating when she disappears and Abina's yeah, is yeah. her parents love and which is related to her sense of self which is the first female that is not associated with her father or her mother's sense of self like she is independent of herself um the others kind of like have relationships that they where they rely more on others um sense of power and sense of duty and stuff like that so in general a woman's power is through her marriage and children when she's older and when she's young her power is through her looks her sexuality and her um her father's position Mm-hmm. Yeah. men's power is through their ability to protect and provide so like the idea of being a big man means that you have more power in the village because you are the protector of the village or you're the richest one in the village um, 
And each person also feels a sense of powerlessness, except maybe James Collins, the elder, the white soldier. Um, we don't, he's not a perspective that we get, although he's in Effie's chapter, but I think he, we don't actually see him in like a powerless position. He is constantly asserting his power over others, he was, even over Effia. He was powerless when they had sex that one time. Oh, that's true. <laughs> he yeah. Was, yeah, and there, it's, um, I know you have something on this later, but the some of the, the scenes, the sex scenes, when there is, God, it feels weird to use this term, but I guess race mixing, right, or cultural mixing, when the when white Europeans come and want to take wives, like, the sec, those sex scenes are, it's especially clear that they're out of place, it's uncomfortable, there's, yeah, it's just discomfort and awkwardness and stuff. Yeah. I feel like there's been a couple of those, and none of them have been, I guess, obviously very purposefully, I was going to say smooth, I'm not sure what the adjective would be, but none have been, I guess, good. Let's go super right. simple. Yeah. Um, and on a grander scale, there's a struggle for power between the, the imperialists and the slave traders um, and the, the tribes of the Gold Coast. And in America, there's, of course, the, the power struggle between um, slaves um, and free people of color versus the slave owners, bounty hunters, just the white community in general. So there's the bigger idea of like power struggles, powerlessness, and then each individual's definition of power for themselves All right. that I found really interesting. You've, you've warmed us up well, Amanda. The audience is overwhelmed by your evidence. G- give me a thesis now. <laughs> what does the book want to say about power? What are its ideas about power? Any thoughts in that in that direction? Well, I have, I've, I'm still kind of formulating. I think it's going to depend for me on the, the latter half. Um, but mm-hmm. I think that the sense of powerlessness is what... Uh, creates this like um, spiral of of brutality and of of hopelessness, right? So even with mm-hmm. um, um, the oh, what's the, the guy's name? Um, uh, Kojo, his relation. So his relationship with Anna is his sense of power because in his life he feels powerless. Like he's scared of cops. He's scared of authority figures because he's a runaway slave, mm-hmm. and then. And he just, it's that constant fear, that constant feeling of powerlessness in his life that leads ultimately to his falling apart when, when his one sense of power, which is connected to another person, disappears. Like mm-hmm. at the end of yeah. his chapter, which is so bleak, he loses not only his wife and his unborn child, but he loses all of his children because they just don't want to be around yeah. him. Yeah. And he, he even loses his home because he, he has to remove himself from Baltimore so that he can't be constantly reminded of his life there. And he moves to New York where he like the things that he says about New York is obviously he doesn't like it, but <laughs> yeah, so a perfect that... kind of, um, I think the literary term would be again, like a synecdoche at the end because he's yeah. has this, he's doing this, he has this very private trauma. And then of course the final thing in his chapter is like, Hey, civil war's coming. So it's, yep. <laughs> it's like, let's take this man's, you know, trauma and then explode it into a bloody national war that will take years to fight. Yeah. So it's yeah. I thought that ending for again as as rushed as I thought his maybe trauma was. I that part I felt was quite fitting and intense. Yeah. Just the conclusion. Okay. Any other par- moments of power that? How about this then? Let me. I can I can direct your thoughts maybe with a question. 
uh, any differences between the the continents so far in terms of how power is used, how the book wants us to interpret it or, you know, it it would be, I think, too simple, but maybe correct or the start of something correct to say the tribal interactions, the fighting, the war is more delicate or fair or something. Obviously, there's nothing delicate or fair about slave owner whips and all the and the life and you know slavery in the states and everything or like compare the scene where he kojo gets accosted by the cop at the very end versus when they kidnap the ashanti king's daughter and they you know they fight wars and and kill people or whatever it just doesn't it all feels a little more staid or respectful or something is that too simple a reading i didn't pull quotes for any of those ideas i'm just thinking I thought that it was just two different levels of okay, uh, yeah, uh, two, two different types, not levels, but two different types of brutality. Yeah, yeah. Because a lot of the wars, I even said in the chapter, like a lot of the wars in um, on the Gold Coast were like it. it there were going to be some wars because there was just so many tribes and so many different right. people with different beliefs and everything else. But of course, the European interaction is going to stir the pot and keep boiling it over and boiling it over and boiling it over. So the the atrocities that are happening in these wars, um, and I definitely viewed it as like the the, the people that they were they were stealing people and selling them to the slave traders, but also they would keep some people in their horm- homes and force them to be workers in their homes. Yeah, they call um, them house people or something. I, I right, tried to think which, of the term earlier. It's not slave, though, which, I again, I, that feels like uncorking a much more massive conversation right. for like a different book or, some, or something. Right. Like, I don't, I, I think this book is kind of interested in those ideas, but it's a little more inheritance of trauma and like you noted like power things i don't know if the book has it it has the obvious firm position of the horrendous qualities of slavery like the the when they're in the dungeons when they're in the ship and that's recollected and everything like that doesn't even compare of course to the remember the scene when the young girl the the captured girl is being she gets beaten for not carrying the water for dropping the water yeah like that even that feels more about it's about pride, certainly, but it's about, like, it, there's a interconnected humanity to it, almost, at least, even if you don't respect it or don't agree with it, it's that man asserting his values very clearly, and the slave trade, of course, feels just much more, like, it's cattle raising, or, you know, it's much more grotesque in the book, I think. I'm not even, this isn't me inter- inserting odd opinions left and right. I just think the book displays it in a much more disgusted way. Like, way yeah. more so. Well, with that particular chapter with the little dove, we at least have Mame there who... Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Who it's a like human. Kind of, right. She, yeah. she, she's, she was, right, a, a house servant for somebody else and was raped and is the... And right, from that right. rape was Effia. Um, and so she has... She has some empathy mm-hmm. for the dove. Um, whereas... In, in the American chapters, there is there is no empathy that we really yeah, get, except for yeah. maybe like the in um, in Kojo's chapter with the the abolitionist, who's actually like kind of powerless in a lot of ways. Um, totally. Which Just, which yeah. also Mame is powerless too against her husband, ultimately. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. yeah, it reminds me of this is a deep cut from my memory, so this is going to be a pretty sloppy recollection, <laughs> but it reminds me of a 
some political science class from college, so very deep cut, where we talked about, uh, there was kind of a unit where we studied the Sudan, history of the Sudan. I wish I could remember the focus of the class. It was probably an international politics class. Anyway, and there were some pretty interesting readings about how the introduction of guns into Sudanese tribes like forever altered the nature of conflict. So it's because you can reach into history and start pulling out some pretty bad false analogies quickly between different groups that may look like they're doing the same thing, but then yeah. when you change some material relations, it, it's, it clearly was not. So, for example, I just remember from this class reading about how they would interview tribesmen or leaders and stuff, and it was kind of like they fought these these groups would fight back and forth constantly for generations but it wasn't like anyone really ever got killed you know and it was just kind of like mm-hmm. you'd there'd be a capturing and maybe a person got killed in a scuffle and like what they would call war isn't like world war it's not like a grotesque massacre right. on like an uncountable scale or of suffering or whatever world you know so it's and then it, of course when guns get introduced into the country like it completely changed the dynamic of their of their fighting their conflicts because suddenly instead of you know instead of a cut with a spear and then you live on it's just oh now we, instead of harming five people we killed 10 which is just a profoundly different way to have social relations with like groups around you that you know you have like either neutral or negative feelings for anyway i just remember studying that um, and it was, it's rather complex, you know, again, I, we don't have that book in front of us, but this just kind of reminded me of it where it, yeah. you, when you introduce these different material realities, you can just profoundly change social relations that again, otherwise were not, it's not like you had to accept them as they were, but you, you definitely made it worse or if that makes sense mm-hmm. or made it worse. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and they talk explicitly about guns and introducing the guns to, yeah, yeah. um, uh, some of the the villagers and and um, Quay's uh, actual love interest wanting to see like the cannons and stuff like that. Right, right. Don't read into that as a metaphor, though, or a euphemism. <laughs> or... <laughs> or or should you? Can I see the cannon, please, <laughs> sir? <laughs> Shall I see the cannon now? Anyway, yeah, let's we'll leave that one there. Any other thoughts on the motifs? Uh, nope, I'm good. Okay. We have two more segments prepped. They're quicker ones, though, so we'll close out the first half of this book with these. We're each going to do a Please Continue and Make It Stop, which is self-explanatory. I'll go first. I think mine are the same, so shall I try and untangle them in a messy and perhaps unsatisfying manner now? Because <laughs> I yeah. think it's the same thing. <laughs> uh, it's the scope and ambition. I think it defines the whole book, and the reading has been propulsive for sure. I have really enjoyed... Just knowing when I finish this, it's time to skip years, it's time to skip generations, it's time to reset my brain. It does read kind of like short story collection, which you and I both enjoy that format anyway. So I think on the whole, that has been keeping me hooked. The make it stop, though, is I don't think... Some of them haven't worked as well for me, and I just think there are emotional punches pulled. Not in the not in the terms of the content, of course, it's really intense. But, for example... Quay's gay romance interest, right? Do you feel like that was explored enough? I, I It was t- certainly teased at enough and like was made very clear. And his sacrifice to ignore that part of his life and, 
take up the mantle of her spot. Like I get the themes of it and everything. It just felt shallow, I guess. I it, it's like it's as if it if it didn't exist, I think the themes would be fine anyway because he didn't even like being there and was just doing it to uphold the you know the responsibility of his name or something. Um, yeah. And so I, I it just felt tacked on, I suppose. I don't know. How did you feel about those moments? Um, I think that it tied in well later in James's chapter because uh, Quay's wife kept calling him a weak man. Right, right. And and uh, we keep seeing Quay like avoiding eye contact with some people and looking away mm-hmm. and, and not standing up for himself. It's that yeah insecurity that stemmed from his father's reaction to seeing um, Quay and. God, what what was that guy's name? I forgot. I don't remember either. I but I was reading that as just stemming from his I don't know familial insecurity and discomfort. But I you're not wrong because because that's introduced. You kind of get a you get a mishmash of both, or you know you can read it how you want. But yeah, it just didn't. It felt again abrupt, and I think that's just part of the formatting. Is it's I, I would be intrigued to see one of these stories veer off and dedicate itself to like. Here's what this, you know, trying to live this way or having these mm-hmm. feelings or having this happen in this place in this time period. I, I just think that's worth exploring, but I just yeah. don't think I would hold up that chapter as like, here's a in-depth, intriguing, well-done way to show it. It just feel, felt like dressing or is that the right term? Dress up? I don't know. It didn't feel like it had depth to me, that that plot line or whatever. I definitely wanted to. So we know like with with. Um, his father's reaction, how he feels about yeah, gay relationships. Yeah. But yeah, I was, I was actually, as I read that, I was like, I wonder what the, how the villagers would react to that. Cause I have no context for that. I, well, uh, we do, so. we have a lot of context and it's that women, you need to have many wives and produce a lot of children. So it does not seem, it does That's not seem true, like it would then, be welcomed, but I, who knows? You're right. There's no, example right of it. It, it could be that like as long as you have your kids then whoever on the side like if male or whatever yeah like, that's fine there is the uh woman we just spoke of i forgot the name oh abina like she out of wedlock was having sex and that was kind of i mean they they threatened to kick her out so it didn't, does not seem she's a woman that's true that's true and that that they plays didn't in... threaten to kick the guy out just her no right well and he already had a wife too yeah, there's not a lot of examples of infidelity either, are there? Yeah. Not that I can think of anyway. Yeah, so, and then the other one, sorry, it was when Jess's wife disappeared and his life fall. That was Jess, right? The Baltimore man? Did I have Kojo, the wrong name? Joe. Oh, Joe. There we go. Sorry, wrong name, as always. <laughs> <laughs> Joe. But that also felt underexplored. The whole, like I said, the denouement of that, of his life falling apart, he abandons his kids. It, it just felt too brief to me. I, again, didn't mind that that was the type of brutality that it wanted to go after. And, you know, it felt fitting in a couple of thematic ways and this interf- intrafamilial strife and the, all this trauma handed down and etc. But it also just felt like it was just the whole resolution for him. While I agreed with it and even enjoyed that civil, the, the like p- potency of that idea at the end of matching his strife with the civil war all that but i don't know the actual just quality of the writing of it or the it just felt too simple i guess i could put it that way maybe that's too simple a way to phrase it but yeah it just felt a little too simple or quick or something so it i 
The format has worked in that it keeps me engaged. I don't think each one is as strong as the others, I guess is my really simple way to put it. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, Abina's, for me, has been like the, the one that's stood out the most. I mean, yes, it mm-hmm. was the last yeah. one that yeah. we read. But also just like her her story and her character is just so well-developed, I think. Yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I definitely think that there are some that or maybe not as her as Ness, as others. Her Ness and the first character whose name I already forgot, the first woman. Effia. Effia, there we go. I think theirs have stood out the most to me. The men, not as much so far. Though, yeah. you know, Joe's had moments. And how about for your Please Continue and Make It Stop? What do you got? Um, my Please Continue is also the generational scope of this novel. Um, because this novel is exploring the impact of both male and white slash Western dominance on, on a massive scale. Um, I haven't read much about the impact on Africa specifically on such a grand scale. And I think, um, Jesse is doing a phenomenal job so far with it. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and it's not just, the focus isn't just on, on, um, like imperialism, although that's a huge part of it. And, and it's nice to see, not nice to see, but it's interesting to see, how it affects um, a country that I, I don't know much about anyway, but also like the the male dominance and and how women are kind of commodities in in both countries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I find that really fascinating too because the the very first trauma that we that starts this whole traumatic family tree. <laughs> is is the rape of mame which mm-hmm. we don't get until like later but the yeah and we never actually we never actually see or, or it's never fully described but um it's the her rape is what kind of begins this splitting up of this this family and then the the brutalities that follow so it's mm-hmm. it's not just about imperialism but also just like male dominance over women and, and women's yeah, kind of yeah. inability to do anything about it. So I, no, I just, totally. I, I find that really fascinating. Yeah. You, you covered a lot of good examples in the, when talking about power, but that's, I think a succinct way to put it. I, until we see how some of the male characters crop up in the back half, I all withhold yeah. a full thesis on that. But yeah, no, I would agree with those readings a hundred percent. It's been almost, um, this will sound maybe more insulting than I intended to, kind of like a 101 of just kind of, hey, you never learned about colonialism, did you? Like, (laughs) you you need to. (laughs) And it's, you know, it's fiction, of course. So I think that makes things accessible. But and so I guess that's a criticism, too, in a sense, because it it doesn't overstay its welcome in any welcomes, overstay its moments in any one particular history or aspect. So that, I guess that's where I'm coming from with that 101 comment. I guess it's neutral, right? Yeah. Could be good, could be bad. Depends on the reader and yeah. what they what they need. So yeah, right. that's how it's had that feeling for me too. Yeah. Any make it stops? Um, yeah, I've got just one. Um, I haven't been super impressed with the sex scenes. Um, oh, yeah. I'm not sure that they're really necessary, except except maybe Effia's sex scene, um, just because the the natural and animal imagery um, along with the roots that she puts under the bed were very on theme um, and very much related to several um, to the motif of of nature especially as it is 
um, a major part of of tribal life versus what the colonists' um, life is about. So I thought that was important to the theme. But the other sex scenes, I've just been kind of like, uh, and maybe it's because like we, Alice Walker is just like phenomenal with like her stuff with mm-hmm. with her sex scenes and just like remembering that maybe I'm just being nitpicky or whatever, but. Well, linger, they um, linger. It's like the photo. Fo- you know, yeah. this is another case where it's. I think that's part of it is scope. Yeah, you know, if this if this novel was Effie's novel, now again, that I don't know why I'm doing this editor thing. I do that's so annoying, but that's a completely different book. But you could imagine pages of sex scenes then, like really right. I- intimate, specific. Like, but I just think as part of this whole endeavor, you're just not gonna. I think the like I said, I think the ones that have stood out to me have been when white people, white men, have tried to take advantage just because the those moments have read as kind of like they she's very good at describing sweaty white men which i may know a thing or two about <laughs> yeah <laughs> so i guess those things have i don't know i just think those were well realized or something um the rest have been yeah i think back to wasn't there one with the most recent character abina uh, in the cave the kind of when they're walking yeah. back yeah just yeah. non i don't know i was not moved by it just, right. And the the whole point of that particular scene was was her final point about not regretting anything. Her father gave her that piece of yeah, advice. Yeah, I remember that. And so the end of that sex scene, she's thinking about that the scene with her dad where they're talking about not living with regrets because right, you right. learn from your mistakes or whatever. And I get that. That's an important message to her for her character. But the the sex scene itself, I mean, you could have just like skipped that the two paragraphs that describes the yeah. the sex and just like, right. you know, you could, you could, uh, it was unnecessary. And also like on page 116 is Kojo and Anna's sex scene. And it was just like, I was like, why is this even in here? I get that he loves her, but I, I don't, I don't how know did, why okay. it's in here. Yeah. How did you feel about the, talk about a motif of the ass, the ass motif. Any thoughts yeah. on that? Any way you want? I mean, did you, it's, it's strange because on the one hand, peculiar physical intimacies between partners. I mean, that's the stuff of life. I, you know, so it's like enjoy those things, the oddities, the wonders, the you know, however you want to phrase it. Like that's there's real charm and life to that. I, again, I just don't know if it was explored or maybe it was just too simple or something. There was some kind of sentence in there like. And and it was her butt that kept him going, or something like that. And I was just kind of like, yeah, he eh. followed her all around town. Just a, to, like, a strange moment, butt. to be sure. <laughs> Including, yeah, when she left some stranger butts. But yeah, it just some of those intimate <laughs> moments were a little, I guess, underexplored to me too. It's, but maybe that's just the one-on-one nature of some of this book's ambition or something. Yeah, it's yeah with with Kojo and Anna too. I I the way that I read like his um attraction to her physical aspect is again the idea of like power being power for women is from their looks um, yeah and the desire for men so or men's desire for them so it's so women's power is directly related to to men and not if you're nest wanting them yeah. Not well, when you got yeah. not when you got the strong hand. <laughs> strong hand of the Lord. Actually I don't know. She's not religious, right? The strong hand no. <laughs> of herself. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think that's fair. Also yeah, you're right. We have Alice Walker in mind and she just it's clear that that's what she wants to write about and this I think wants to write about, I mean, a million things. So that's just one yeah. of them and yeah, it might not get as good a service. Any other thoughts on those? 
Uh, Let's wrap then with some big bold predictions. This will be our final segment since we're halfway through a novel. We do predictions with novels, so we like to think ahead to what could happen in the back half. I'll start, though I think ours are the same. I mean, the final parts of this book is they're going to meet up again, right? <laughs> the descendants of these split, the split path, you know, from starting with, was it, it's Mame is how you went with it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, yeah. I pronounced it in my And I, I just have to imagine that it's going to be one character going to America or another going to Africa. I'm assuming going back to Africa, if I had to guess, but I that's yeah. just because of the title. So yeah. <laughs> I suppose it that's could be. That's exactly what I was thinking, too. Home going, yeah. like going home. Yeah, but, yeah. But I don't know if that's just me, like, just wanting some kind of, like, happiness for these people. How about just... this, then? <laughs> Would it be good, bad, or somewhere in the middle if they reunite their necklaces? But they can't, right? How could they? Because the one necklace the is one buried could, in the castle. It could get accidentally found, maybe. Uh, we'll yeah. see. I, I would say bad. I just think that would be a little corny. Yeah, I, I, I don't think that it'll be that neat. That obvious, yeah. Wrapped up. I think that if they do end up meeting they won't know that they're family okay um simply because like um kojo his only understanding of his family is from um is from what is his mom his adopted mom's name it's okay okay i don't remember i just Uh, okay yeah um he calls and her so mom, she, and she barely, yeah. yeah, and she barely knew Ness, right, right. right. Uh, and then, um, and then his son, H, um, or daughter H, the the only one that he he doesn't know. Um, we don't. How would that person know anything about? the past except for whatever he hears from his mom assuming he wasn't separated from his mom like it's just Mm -hmm. there's way too many the american line has been cut too many times for there to be any real like understanding of of their ancestry really of course except for maybe knowing that they are somehow from the gold coast because of ma'aku and she speaks knowing that some of it doesn't she yeah. Doesn't she speak? Is it twee or twy? Yeah, I, I think. I pronounced it twee in my twee. head. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that that's the best. Really, only prediction is. I suppose we just wait to see how it plays out or how somebody ends up back there. Yeah. Through what circumstances? Life circumstances. If it goes full modern day, let's do end with these specific more specific predictions. If it ends in twenty twenty one or twenty fifteen or you know modern, super modern. Where do you, how would somebody go, why would they go back? Any predictions for that? I don't know. Ooh. Uh, 23 and me, right? (laughs) Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they would know their, well, they wouldn't know, obviously, who the family, the family is, but they would know the region, Right. right? Right. Yeah, that's a good one. I was thinking thematically, an interesting twist would be some kind of humanitarian mission. Like they do Doctors Without Borders, or they, they do... Um, what's the other one I was trying to think of quickly? The oh gosh, I'm really blanking hard. It's like a it's a American program, AmeriCorps, or no? That's the that's within America. What's the AmeriCorps program but international? Peace Corps. <laughs> there you go, Peace Corps. Something like I was thinking maybe something like that, but you're right. That would I think that would intrigue me thematically because it would show just how disconnected they've become. Mm. 
mm-hmm. just how far from each other they are in a sense. Yeah. But I really don't know what the ambition of the second half will be, you know? So yeah. far, there's been obviously tons of similarities and uh, character-wise, thematically, and everything else. So I that, to me, would just be a way maybe... If they, if she really wanted to see just how distant or alien they've become to one another, or something, and this is how the generations have worked and how the history has made it, maybe that would be one way to do it. But I don't think she would end in such an alienating manner. It's been brutal so far, yeah. though. So I, maybe, yeah. <laughs> honestly, maybe, I, yeah. yeah, maybe <laughs> like, the final thing will be a huge moment of disconnection and just like, wow, we don't have anything in common anymore. What's happening? Or you know, yeah, that'd be brutal. Any other predictions or thoughts? Excellent. Okay. We'll wrap up this first episode on Homegoing by Ya Jesse right now then. Thanks so much for listening all the way through. As we mentioned at the top, we have social media accounts you can follow at Instagram and Facebook. It's at the Lightly Literary Podcast, all one word. So leave a rating, recommendation, like, tell your friends and family, you know, it's by now probably past the winter holidays but that's okay always make a good free gift right (laughs) the gift of book clubs and books exactly (laughs) we do have other books coming up in order so if you've not enjoyed this one's discussion or you just didn't read it or something we have books planned so after next week when we wrap this one we will do in order they both die at the end by adam silvera that's a young adult novel something wicked this way comes by ray bradbury and that's a novel too. And then Ghetto Side by Jill Lavoy or Levoy. I haven't looked that one up yet. Um, that is nonfiction. So we're back to some. That's crime nonfiction too about L.A. So mm-hmm. I'm realizing just now that I stole that segment from you. Do you want to do it again? <laughs> you want to repeat no, it? Okay. Yeah. I forgot that I even. That was yeah. Yeah. That's my bad. I got too excited. Any final thoughts on the first half so far, Amanda? Just broad. Anything big picture you want to say? No, I'm I'm enjoying it, and I'm looking forward to hopefully some some happier times <laughs> it's yeah yeah i could i guess i've just been i don't feel heavy reading this though for some reason i think it's because the writing is not i'm not gonna say it's pulling punches but i don't think it it, it could be more indulgent if that makes sense for some of the subject matter it's so serious but I, I don't feel you know leave it feeling like sick it's also the fact that you get to reset literally every chapter it's kind of like okay i get to shake that off mentally or i you know have to now situate that within something else it hasn't um some of the brutal stuff hasn't lingered with me as much in this one so yeah. maybe i'll try and unpack that in part two as well but yeah we we cross our fingers for more hopeful times ahead it's i don't know who knows honestly okay any uh that was your final thought a hopeful yep. note. <laughs> we cross our fingers then. Okay. Uh, thanks as always for listening, folks. And until next time, we'll see you between the pages. 